The Chet Topic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kovic and Lester Munson. Once again, Sports Court time. How you doing, everybody? I'm Chet Kovic, along with uh, the irrepressible Lester Munson, the pride and joy of ESPN. Lester, we have a, a lot on the table today I want to talk about. I'm going to begin down in um, St. Louis, Missouri. Tony LaRusa hires Mark McGuire as a batting coach. McGuire, greatest home run ratio at bats to home runs of anybody who ever played the game. That being said, I'm thinking about McGuire in front of the uh, Reform Committee in 2005. Um, with the epitome of arrogance, my gut says LaRusa is doing this because he can. The Cardinals don't want this, but they're afraid to tell Tony LaRusa no. I think you're exactly right. I don't think Mark McGuire brings anything to the table as a hitting coach. All he could do, if they can find another guy with arms that are about 44 inches long and uh, these huge shoulders and knows how to inject himself, maybe he can teach him how to hit a home run, maybe not. But if you're looking for a batting coach who is going to try to teach situational hitting, who is going to try to teach people how to advance a runner, how to play the game of baseball. Maguire brings nothing. And what other reason is there for La Russa to do it other than to show who is the boss? You know, what's uh, odd about this to me, Lester, is that uh, La Russa has always been about the credibility of the game, the game being played at the highest level. So you bring back a dirt bag. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. It's not the kind of thing the St. Louis Cardinals have done. I know they kept McGuire on the roster back then, but th- at that time, I think we all viewed what he was doing as somewhat acceptable. We didn't really understand the, the level of cheating that was going on. Uh, LaRusa loves to talk about the integrity of the game and the numbers mm-hmm. and the history and all this, and uh, I think we, we don't have to listen to him anymore on that. You know, um, Chicago is basically a very casual media. Just imagine what it's going to be like in New York. The first time the Cardinals go in to play the Mets. Lester, the New York Post is going to arrive with switchblades. It's going to be hell on earth for this guy and for the ball club. Yeah, It's going to be a major distraction for the ball club all year long. He will be everywhere he goes. Uh, here He comes to Chicago nine times. He'll go to New York, what, three or five times? The... Um, Everywhere he goes, there will be a flock of media waiting for him. He will try to duck them. It's not going to work. Something will happen. There will be incident after incident after incident. And just showing him at the ballpark in his current size compared to when he was playing baseball, that's a great picture all by itself before he begins to talk. Sports Court, of course, brought to you by Delicious Coors Beer. Goes down easy. No beer tastes better. Make it a Coors night, if you will, as we continue with Sports Court. All right, uh, you are now Commissioner Roger Goodell, Lester. Larry Johnson, the anti-gay slurs, we both know, common knowledge, that anti-gay slurs, um, slurs of all kind, are part and parcel of a locker room. In the case of Larry Johnson, it would appear to me Goodell's got to make a stance, but he's got to do something that won't force the NFLPA to want to retaliate. So if you're Goodell, what do you do? 
I think I know what I would do. If you look at what Larry Johnson said over this period of a few days, some of the bizarre things he said, you can look at that and say, this is erratic behavior. He must be doing something with alcohol, something with drugs that we, Commissioner Goodell and the NFL, should look into. Goodell has the power to put somebody into the alcohol program or the drug program, recreational drugs we're talking about, and they check up on these guys whenever they want. You're at home, at your house, 8 o'clock in the evening, they knock on the door, they want a urine sample, you have to give it. So I think Goodell can use his powers over alcohol and drugs to put Johnson in a kind of a detention hall, keep his eye on him, and see what happens next. How badly, in your opinion, is the pressure on the Ricketts family to make the big free agent splash? Brand new owners, um, miserable taste for Cub fans, baseball circuit 2009. How big is the pressure to go out and spend dough for a, a guy like Sean Figgins, for example? The Milton Bradley fiasco increases the pressure on the Ricketts family. If Bradley had performed even at the journeyman level, there would be a lot less pressure. But yes, there is pressure on the Ricketts family. Uh, there's pressure on them both to sign a major free agent. There's pressure on them to begin the rehabilitation and the remodeling of Wrigley Field. Uh, there's pressure on them because of the prices at Wrigley Field being so much higher than the prices uh, for White Sox games. So they're dealing with some very interesting dynamics here, not all of them favorable to the Ricketts family. Is it uh, asking a lot of the Ricketts family to create restrooms where after the fourth inning... <laughs> You don't have to wait a half an hour to take a leak. <laughs> Is that asking too much? I don't know. That's part of the Cub fans' experience. It's part of the Wrigley Field ambiance. You have to stand in line, and then there are those troughs. I, I don't even want to oh. describe them on oh. the net. It is it is uh, unto itself. I have no idea what happens to a woman in Wrigley Field. When I bring my wife to the game, I don't ask her how bad it is down there. Uh, I do notice that she tries not to go during the game. So that there's a lot that can be done in Wrigley Field, and some of it, Chet, can lead to increased revenue. There are no club seats yet in Wrigley Field. The only real expensive seats are those seats that they auction off right down there by the first base and third baseline. So they can do some remodeling that will not only help the ballpark, but will increase the income of the team. Uh, Lester, I've got 20 bucks right now that says in 2011, the Cubs will be selling, and they will be priceless. People will be on their hands and knees. Personal seat licenses. Oh, About twelve to 15,000 seats will be tagged as PSLs. You buy that? They could do that. They certainly are going to need the money because keeping that ballpark upright is going to be a real challenge. So you're suggesting a portion of the ballpark, maybe a third, would be PSLs. Yeah. The one-third yeah. that are the very best seats, mm -hmm. That I could see them doing that. I don't think there's a legal problem with that. They could get away with it. Um, it would be they'd have to test the market and see how high they can go and... As you and I know, Cub fans are a little off-center. They would probably go for it. Well, put it in this context. If you're a lifelong Cub fan and you're making over a hundred grand a year, and most people who occupy those box seats are making well over a hundred grand a year. Yep. If you get nailed for 4500 a ticket as a personal seat license, you've actually made, in my opinion, you've made a hell of an investment. Yeah, I think you could probably come out ahead on the season. I'm in two season ticket groups. 
I know that one group that I'm in, they would vote against the PSL. <laughs> they are very thrifty. They bring their own sandwiches to the ballpark. They bring their own cans of Coke to the ballpark. You've been the hanging other out with group, my relatives. Yeah, the other group, <laughs> the other group, they would pay the money and pay extra to try to move up closer. That, that's the kind of guys they are. So I'm kind of at either end of the spectrum here. Am I supposed to be shocked, by the way, that uh, former tennis star Andre Agassi admits that he used crystal meth and that, oh, by the way, he, uh, he was found guilty during a drug test, but somehow tennis allowed him to continue to play. This was back in 1997. Lester, tennis has always been glitterati. It's been South Beach. It's been right. Roland Garros in Paris. good friend of mine, Vitas Gerolitis, was a known cocaine user. Tennis was never going to suspend the only male traction it had at that time. No, they, they could never afford to uh, suspend him at that time. There's a lot of big stars uh, that they could not afford to suspend. I'm surprised that he's admitting this. I'm not quite sure why he would do this. Was somebody threatening him? What was going on? Um, I don't know. But the, we all know what happens in tennis. Those, If you've been to some of these tournaments, you know what goes on. And no, it's not a big surprise. It would be a big surprise if he denied all this stuff. You know what I can't figure out is this. Why all of a sudden, in the name of an advance, Andre Agassi, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't need any dough. Runs a beautiful restaurant in Las Vegas. He's made more money than uh, the law allows. Why, after the fact, do you suddenly feel this urge to tell the world that you used crystal meth? I mean, what, what, what psychiatrist Munson, what, you know, what, what, what the hell am I missing? I think he and Steffi were sitting around the house. He had nothing to do. She said, well, would you please do something? Would you go out in the back? How about writing a book? out?" So he goes out, and Andre has to sit and write a book. Then he says, well, I want to win with this. He's a winner. I'm going to figure out how to sell it. So he comes up with the meth uh, admission, and now here we are talking about it, helping him sell his book. Well, it's the least we can do. <laughs> it is. is. Is that any funnier than this? Bobby Knight in Indiana. Oh. going around and around for years. Back in 1999, he pushes uh, Ron Felling, one of his uh, subordinates, one of his assistant coaches. Felling sues. Knight gives him 25 grand to go away. Knight, uh, after he gets fired, then sues the university for not backing him during the suit. Finally, a group of donors get together and come up with a $75,000 package to settle. Knight then says, and this is vintage Bobby, I won't accept it. It's donor money. I want university money. Can you imagine? I'm guessing right now the university has spent $225,000 in legal fees minimally to get the donors to put up seventy-five grand, and Bobby won't take the seventy-five grand. I, I think your estimate on legal fees is low, and it, you're right. It is vintage Bobby Knight. I have to tell you this. I do miss him coming out and trying to intimidate us after the games <laughs> or when he was about to be fired. I was there in Bloomington one time, and... I don't even know how he recognized me. It was across this huge lobby there in the basketball building, and he came over, lickety-split, just to try to terrorize me, I think just oh, yeah. for the workout. It was just because he had nothing else to do. And, and, you, and you look at this, and you start to laugh, and that just brings out even more from him. So it, it's, I miss that. I mean, that was a little bit of excitement in the life of the sports writer. You know, going back in time, and you were all over this story, can you only imagine... The late Miles Brand, who just passed away, oh. the hell he went through when he decided, game over. I'm going yeah. to make the move. It's going to be the most unpopular move in the history of the state. I'm going to fire Bobby Knight. 
He he saved his job once after the felling incident. Then there was also the CNN story where he was choking the player in practice. He saved his job again. And then finally, when Bobby Knight went after the kid who said, Hey, coach, or no, hey, Knight, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, And Bobby Knight goes over and tries to scare this poor little kid to death. And then Miles Brand had to fire him. You know, it's hard to visualize now the presence that he had in Bloomington and that he had in the Big Ten. You forget these things so quickly, but he really was a force, not on the basketball court and outside as well. It's hard to un- it's hard to imagine this now. Lester, do you recall uh, Bobby in uh, Puerto Rico for the Pan American Games, '79? <laughs> this is when he threw the chair. Running, running with the cop, whole <laughs> right. nine yards. Right. I get a call one night. I'm working at the CBS affiliate in Indianapolis. Bob Knight wants to talk with me. What does Bobby want to do? He's chosen me, Bob Hamill from the Bloomington uh, yeah. Telegraph, who was his longtime PR man, right. Don Fisher, who's your play-by-play voice, and he wants us all to convey a message that he needs the help of Governor Otis Bowen. Now, what are you going to do if you work in Indianapolis? <laughs> I tape him. I sit there and lay down, give him a one-foot pub with right. no break, make him sound like his mother Teresa, go on the air that night and declare that our governor, Otis Bowen, has to defend Bob Knight. You think Bowen backed down? You think you think Bowen walked away? The next day, Bowen was on the phone with Puerto Rico. <laughs> that was the strength of this guy. Right. The governor was afraid of Bob Knight. Right. And, you know, Knight, even when he was in one of these rages, he did know how to work the media. Oh, he he had friends, Bob Hamill and these other guys, who would help him, who would get the message out there. And if you were doing a story critical of Bob Knight, as I did several times, let me tell you something. You were very careful. You made sure that you had everything nailed down because you knew he was going to be coming back. And if you made one small mistake, you'd have to explain it for six months. Hey, my friend, uh, down there in bluegrass country, Rick Patino, sex on the table. I can only imagine. You know, Ricky does Lexington. Where, where is this story going? Uh, the woman is charged. Her name is Karen Cipher. She's charged with extorting money from Rick Patino. It was probably the worst example of extortion ever done. She couldn't even figure out what her demand was. At one point, she wanted $3,000 a month. Then she said, no, I think I'd prefer $10 million. What, and, and Patino, of course, wasn't going to pay anything. Now she's in trouble with the FBI. She's facing some felony charges. And the government prosecutors have watched all this and they're thinking we should have this woman go through a psychological examination they want to find out why she is so irrational and so erratic and the judge now has to decide if he's going to put her through that or if there's a way to bring the case to an end now little ricky patino can be a hothead is there a chance that once this babe goes away he may file a civil suit against her I don't think so. I think he wants to keep the job there at Louisville. If he can hang on to the job for another year, he's got a bonus coming of almost $4 million just because he's been there for so long. And he probably wants this to go away. If there was a way for the federal prosecutors to offer her something and Patino to offer her something and wrap it all up in a confidentiality agreement. I think Patino is smart enough. He would participate that and bring this all to a conclusion, and then he could have a wonderful couple of years at Louisville. What do you find to be more uh, perverse? Extreme dating on cable TV with uh, 
Jillian Barbary, <laughs> or what major college, colleges and universities will pay for a quality football or basketball coach? Uh, to me, uh, the the coaching contracts. This is an arms race that is that it just takes your breath away sometimes. When a football coach, Bobby Stoops, is taking five million dollars, and that doesn't count the country club and the car and mm. the housing allowance and all the other stuff, I, I wonder about stuff like that. Uh, if you look at Brazil, China, India, Russia, economies that are on the move in the right way, they don't waste a lot of money on coaches. They don't waste a lot of money on college sports. They're getting ahead of us here. I'm starting to worry about the United States as as we look at these coaching contracts. Yeah, I mean a guy like uh, Kirk Ferentz making oh. making three million bucks a year at Iowa. That's a lot of dough to pay a guy to beat Purdue. Yeah, <laughs> right. What does he play? Eleven games. <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> Twelve and games. And a bowl game. And and a bowl game this year for sure. I. It is appalling to me that these great universities, Michigan, Ohio State, these are wonderful universities, centers of research and learning, and this is the way they waste their money. But, you know, Lester, for example, Notre Dame playing in the Alamo Dome this um, week against uh, Washington State. Somebody who should really know better said, Kopik, why are they playing in the Alamo Dome? Good morning, because the guarantee they got to play in the Alamo Dome, the Alamo Dome probably wants this game as a loss loser just to have the prestige of Notre Dame. Exactly. I, I think uh, anybody who's operating a venue like that, they would love it. Uh, what, how is it going? Well, we have Notre Dame for the next five years. It's going great. I mean, that's all the guy needs to say who's running the Alamo Dome. He's got Notre Dame lined up. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopic. You are dialed into uh, Sports Corp once again. Brought to you by Fabulous Coors Beer. All right, Mr. Munson, let's go back to the Cubs for one moment before we uh, say game, set, and match. How disturbed will you be if the Rickets have not made a major free agent move by opening day or a major trade, a blockbuster by opening day? How burned will you be? Well, assuming they get rid of Milton Bradley, that's a step forward. If they have done some things with the ballpark, if they have done some things to allow people to get into the games for less than $75 a ticket, I might accept no new free agent. I'm not too sure about it. I'm a Cub fan. I want them to win. Uh, at the same time, I want them to get off to a good start. I don't think I would be that upset if they don't bring in Figgins or somebody else. Uh, literal translation in closing as we say goodbye. Lester is simply saying this. Clean up. The troughs. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> A simple request. <laughs>